This is a Dialogue, a podcast series from An American Mosaic. Today it's difficult to have uh, in-person uh, conversations, so I'm continuing the Dialogue series uh, with uh, virtual uh, Zoom conversations. The subject of uh, jobs and employment comes up a lot these days, and I had just read an article on uh, ghosting, uh, which I found very interesting. And uh, while I was reading it, I was looking at some comments, and uh, I saw a comment from uh, Tara, who uh, lives in uh, New Orleans. We had uh, a great uh, conversation on Zoom and uh, talked uh, about uh, ghosting, which was actually her husband's experience. And uh, we also talked about uh, New Orleans. Uh, We talked about uh, the job market there. And uh, that got us talking to uh, industries that are disappearing there and uh, the impact of uh, COVID and uh, what's going on there today. This is a uh, good conversation. I learned uh, a little bit uh, about uh, New Orleans and I learned something about uh, ghosting and what it's like uh, to be in uh, the hunt for a job out there in the world today. I want to put in a quick plug here and uh, ask you uh, to uh, subscribe uh, to this podcast and uh, tell your friends. And I really appreciate you listening. Thank you. I've been working for Tulane University for nine years. There's been a few times where I've been like, screw this, I'm going to find another job. And I have experienced some ghosting myself over the years you know, I mean, I've also like been close to finding jobs, but for me, when I saw that article, I specifically thought about my husband and he's a video game designer. So this is me as an outsider looking in. it's not my native industry, but we've been together for a while now. And he, he was laid off from a pretty good job with the studio here in New Orleans, he moved to New Orleans to go to work for this studio. New Orleans created a huge um, uh, tax benefit for the entertainment industry. It's how we also, you know, we're Hollywood South for a little while, um, tax credits for filmmakers and um, video game companies and different um innovative tech companies and stuff to come and set up here. And so there was a little bit of a tech boom and a little bit of an entertainment boom in the um, early 20 teens of companies coming and starting up um, second offices or locations. And so uh, a company called Gameloft set up here and he came to work for them in New Orleans after getting laid off from a game design company in Austin. And this is, I mean, it's not uncommon in this industry. Like you'll go to work for a studio, you'll be with them for a few years and their game will, uh, their games will like become unpopular. And until they start, you know, having a new exciting game, people will get laid off from the studio. And then there's all these designers looking for work. And it's not just game designers. It might be graphic designers or engineers who are software designers. And uh, so the studio in New Orleans closed because 
they just weren't profitable as a studio at that point. The games they were working on were not selling. And then there were issues with the company at large as well. They had closed down some other studios around the world. They're a big company. A couple other game companies set up shop here under the tax break as well. And one of them had job openings. And when, so when um, the company he was with, well, as this 3D assets clearing house called Turbo Squid that's based here, and then another company out of Baton Rouge um, had like a mini job fair where the people from Game Loft got together and traded biz cards and resumes and, you know, were trying to connect with other companies and, um, artists with the 3D company. And so uh, Keith connected with a company and went back and forth with them for several, it felt like months. And there were interviews and, you know, meetups at the, you know, restaurant bar down the street from yeah. where they worked, because that's how people do things in New Orleans. I mean, you'll literally have like a job interview at the corner bar. Okay. Um, and especially in that environment, it's casual. Um, and then nothing just disappeared. So he would follow up every couple of weeks, you know, Hey, is there anybody I need to talk to? And then finally it was a thanks, but no thanks. And so I was like, okay, just on to the next thing. So we decided, um, you know, just start applying out of state. You know, we can, we can live, you can work in another state. Sometimes he would get flown out for interviews to other states. And sometimes he would get like cold called um, by recruiters on LinkedIn uh, for, in this industry, they will go so far as to recruit and interview you, maybe like a Skype call, have you do a design test, fly your ass halfway across the country and put you up in a hotel for a few nights and run you through a whole, you know, day and a half of meet and greets and talking to this person and that person. And then you might not hear from them for a week and then they will reject you or you might not hear from them at all. And you're following up, like, do I have a job? Like a year. So cut to a year later in 2019, out of the blue, this game company that had previously finally rejected him after running him around for about three months contacted him to start interviewing him again for a job position. So yeah. they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And again, it's another six weeks, another eight weeks. And it really felt like he was going to receive a job offer and they had him speak to another designer. Well, it got to this point of, wait, wait, we want to make you an offer. We want you to talk to another designer in Chicago, which is where their headquarters are. So he talks to this designer and then it was, Oh, we're going to be making offers in the next two weeks, two weeks come and go. He emails another two weeks come and go nothing. And then finally, after him constantly reaching out, he finally gets a response that 
is something along the lines of, oh, well, we've decided not to make offers to game designers this hiring round. We've decided to hire graphic designers. And I don't think anybody was ever going to contact him and tell him that. It was only because he kept reaching out to them. You need to force them to be accountable and give you a response. And if that response is, no, thank you. We don't want to hire you. That is a response. It is a legitimate response. I mean, you can set up a macro on your computer that says, we appreciate your time, but we are looking for someone with a different skill set. Thank you. That's all. You know, that's all you have to do. It sounds to me like this is uh, kind of consistent, uh, certainly with a lot of different companies in this industry. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, he's he's gone through an interview process with another company um, that is kind of uh, horizontal in the industry. And we're, you know, trying to get a response that, again, it seems like on the verge of getting an offer. And then this woman is like, okay, I'll be following up on Monday. Cause I'm leaving for vacation on Tuesday. And they talked about salary and all the things and didn't hear from her. She goes on vacation, two weeks pass. And I'm like, okay, that that's an average vacation. So why don't you drop her an email? And, uh, I think a week or two passes. And during that time, a recruiter contacts my husband through LinkedIn trying to recruit him for the company that he's already been interviewing with. And let me say, when he applied and was contacted, you know, it was, we are interested in you. We have a four stage interview process. Do you want to go through this? And he was like, yes, I will go through your four stage interview process. So he knew what he was getting into. And he, you know, he went through that and it was, you know, a survey and a test and a, you know, whatever. Um, finally, this woman responded to his email um, saying, Hey, what's up? Never heard from you. How was your vacation? I hope it was great. And, you know, she was like, Oh yes, it was great. Uh, have you heard from our recruiter? Do you need anything from me? A recruiter is where you start in the cycle. What is that? What it, you know, why shouldn't it be? Have you heard from our HR department? And was the recruiter that contacted you their recruiter? Because it seemed like he was just a random recruiter. And so Keith, and this was like right after this guy contacted me, he'd been trying to follow up with the recruiter who said, contact me. And so he messaged him on LinkedIn He called the recruiter at the cell phone number the recruiter gave and the recruiter never followed up with him, but connected with him on LinkedIn and the recruiter's profile did not say that he was a recruiter for this particular company. So my husband wrote the woman back and said, um, oddly enough, a recruiter contacted me, but I don't think he works for your company. I think it just happened to be a coincidence that this person contacted me to recruit me for a job for a company that I'm already in discussions with about getting a job. Is that the person that I'm supposed to be expecting to hear from? 
them. He did not hear back from her. What is that system like? Shouldn't someone from an HR department be contacting him at this point, even if it's a no? It, it sounds to me like maybe this is also in other industries. Um, maybe it's a sign of the times as well. I don't know. Beyond uh, the game industry, what's going on there in uh, in New Orleans and that in your area uh, for jobs? What's the job market like? I think it's pretty tough here, you know, because for for a large part of the population, it, New Orleans is a hospitality driven city, which is extremely unfortunate. You know, they just made a really bad choice after Katrina to put all Hurricane Katrina to put all their eggs in the tourism basket because, you know, the oil industry pulled out early 90s or so because they could go other places cheaper because of the um, COVID pandemic. People aren't going on vacation. And after Hurricane Katrina and punching so much money into tourism, the sheer volume of restaurants here doubled. There's hundreds of places have closed down for good now. And hotels are laying people off permanently. I mean, first they were furloughed. Now they're laying people off left and right. Um, the convention center, uh, everything, basically everything is canceled for 2020 and some stuff into 2021. And conventions are a big business here because people like to come and go to the French Quarter. And um, there's all these side businesses here. Everybody makes money off of tourism now. And with that industry dead on its feet. Waiters, bartenders, waitresses, front of house, back of house, owners, every race. I mean, it's everybody's just out of work. You know, there's just, I was reading a story on our local news website about um, this bakery that, I mean, hopefully they're not closed forever, but they're closed for now. And part of their business, uh, was shipping grits and different grains hand milled to uh, out of the city as well. And they did a lot of supply for restaurants as well. But the guy who owns it, it was a story about them closing and it was accompanied by a photo of him doing a sign holding gig for, um, a Neiman Marcus. It wasn't a Neiman Marcus, but it's that Neiman Marcus. It's like a Neiman Marcus outlet. I can't think of what it's called. It's like Neiman Marcus extra or something like that. It's like their equivalent of an outlet. We have one at a mall here and that Neiman Marcus outlet is going out of business. And he was doing a sign holding gig for the Neiman Marcus outlet that's going out of business. Like because he needed a job so desperately and needed money so desperately because he had to close down his bakery. So it's really bad here. I am not optimistic that the city will return to what I think of as new New Orleans, which is the New Orleans that it became after Katrina, the gentrified, exploded New Orleans. I don't think it's going to go back to that for a, a, a long time. And, and, uh, 
and I don't know what a long time is, a decade, another 15 years. I have no idea because it's pretty devastated right now. Economically, you know, it's, it's hurting. We need to take care of ourselves and we need to support our restaurants. And sometimes there's this possessiveness about the city because a a lot of times people just think it's like, it's, it's bourbon street and like big ass drinks. And, um, and there's just so much more. There's also all the coastal erosion and environmental problems. My sense is, uh, I, I, I kind of had a sense that maybe there's sort of two, two New Orleans. There's, um, yeah. you, you just kind of said that. Uh, I also uh, don't know, but I've heard, and I've talked to some people that uh, Katrina was, uh, I mean, the impact uh, was tremendous, uh, obviously. And, and then a lot of people have talked about, you know, the response and, you know, who got help, who didn't get help, and, and all of that. Uh, I guess that was a huge conversation for a long yeah. time. Um, so um, it, it sounds to me like the it was kind of going with the, with the two, and, and one is sort of gone now. I guess that one that was sort of that, you just said that new thing, it's the tourist thing, it's the gentrification. So it's sort of falling back on um, on, on sort of maybe the real the real New Orleans now is that's maybe what it's falling back on. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, poverty here. There's a lot of socioeconomic disparity, something with the coronavirus that I think people like to ignore about New Orleans is that there's always been like this huge amount of racism and racial divisions and socioeconomic divisions. And, and, you know, people like to think that it doesn't exist because like black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods like do interweave across the city. Very, you know, you can really just go a few blocks through many of the like neighborhoods within the city and you will have, you know, a a cluster of blocks. That's like an all black neighborhood, a cluster that's an all white neighborhood. And then some like border overlapping neighborhoods. Um, That's how it was. But like after Katrina, some of those like predominantly black neighborhoods got destroyed and people got forced out of their homes and, you know, and then the whole like property and land grab and Airbnb thing and short-term rentals. I don't know if you've read up on that, but, um, that's, that, that was a real cluster for us down here. But with the coronavirus there, that New Orleans African-American population was very hard hit by that. Like we've had a huge percentage in Orleans parish of the people who have died from coronavirus have been black. And sometimes it's been um, a lack of access to health care. Sometimes right when it first was happening and hospitals and emergency rooms were getting overly full, people would be turned away, um, you know, and, and told, you know, you're just gonna have to go home and like treat this like the flu. 
and and so that's that's the reality here and that's who is here and left to deal with that and you see it like even within i mean you know there's there's Tulane cranking out the research and renting out the Hyatt you know taking care of all their people and making sure they're all tested and putting out all our emails and hiring all our deans to like create more diversity on campus and all that stuff and that's great but I mean what are we really doing for the city you know what what are we really doing what does research about racial disparity achieve it just quantifies it I, I don't know I mean I mean will New Orleans be okay yeah it'll be okay I mean it's been okay for 300 years it survives but eventually it's gonna sink well, for sure, uh, what we see depends on uh, where we happen to be sitting. Uh, we are in interesting times. Uh, that's it for uh, this episode. And uh, if you like this series, again, uh, please subscribe. Thank you for listening.